for a long time. But we're going to conclude this month. And as we uh, conclude with our Gospel of John, as we've looked at the coming of Christ, the life of Christ, the work of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, John leaves out the ascension, but he includes the appearance of Christ to his disciples following the resurrection. And John, as the gospel writer, has a theme throughout the book of his gospel, and that is that God comes as a great light. He comes as a great truth. In the gospel of John, the first chapter, he says, the word is how he comes. And he comes to us, and he takes the initiative, and he reveals himself to us. The revelation, the revelation of God to man in darkness, the breaking through into the mind of man that is oblivious to thoughts of God, the coming into our life and taking the initiative when we were not seeking Him, that's a theme that we see throughout the Gospel of John. And he tells us that the purpose of his Gospel is that we might look at this life of Christ and His work and His death and His resurrection and His meeting with the disciples afterwards and believe. And not only to believe, but that that belief would give me life, lift, a real life, a fulfilling life, a life with zest, not just a plateaued Christian religious life, but a life that shows that I have intimacy with God and peace with God. And that He's not just an idea or a concept or a philosophy, but He's a person and He's real. And that's the, that's the point this morning that I, causes a question to arise in the disciples' life as it comes to our life, which is the question of the house is after Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection and his ascension to be, as we say at the Apostles' Creed and is taught in the, the first book of Acts, his ascension to the right hand of God, how do I now and in the future, how do I encounter Christ? How do I meet with him personally? And that question is answered with Christ hosting a breakfast on the beach. If you'll look, the key idea or the key subject is in the word reveal. It shows up three places. Verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. Not the first time, but he's doing it again. And then to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also a synonym for the Sea of Galilee. He had previously, by the way, he had previously in Mark chapter 14, and then later in Mark 16, he had told them that he would go before them, he would meet them in Galilee. Look for him in Galilee. And so they are being obedient to his word. They are following his command. And they're waiting in Galilee on him. 
and he revealed himself in this way. And then if you go down to verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So in the Bible, when a word is repeated or a, a theme, an idea or a truth is repeated, then that's the Bible's way of highlighting. It's the Bible's way of trying to arrest our attention. Revealed. Revealed himself. Revealed himself again. Third time he revealed himself. The idea is, is that Jesus reveals himself to be fully, wholly present with the disciples after the resurrection, though they are unaware. Though, even in his physical appearing on the beach, they still don't see him clearly and recognize him. And so he reveals himself to them in the boat and then more clearly on the shore. And the word for reveal is not simply show, but it's the word for make visible. It's not the word for appear. It's the word for something that is already there, but then it appears. It's already there, but you it then it shows itself to have already been there despite us being unaware. Uh, one of the uses of the word is to take a lid off. That it's there, but now you're releasing it so that others can see it. This is one of my favorite shirts. I don't wear it to, on Sunday mornings a lot, but Mother's Day in pink and uh, my male security is... Uh, and my identity is up a little bit this week, so I can get away with a pink shirt. Um, but there's something that I really don't like about this shirt. I love it because it's 100% cotton. It's very relaxed. In fact, if I wear it uh, all day, it's just going to get softer and softer and softer. But there's something I can't stand about this shirt. I absolutely, it'll sit in the closet unless I figure out a way to get around what I don't like about this shirt, which I really enjoy wearing. You know what it is? The logo. I cannot stand logo. They look great on you guys and, and gals. That's great. But I cannot stand logo. So if I can get my name tag over it. But the logo is there. It's already there. You just don't see it. But if I remove it, it's revealed to you. It's there. Hidden. It's there. Revealed. Got it? That's the point. And it takes, it takes God to open our eyes. It takes God to reveal His Son to us again and again. But He gives us what we call the means of grace by which Jesus can become as real to us as He was to these disciples in the beach of our life, He can be there if we will avail ourselves to the means that God gives us in revealing Jesus. And I'm going to point out two primary ways 
that Jesus reveals himself to the disciples and that he will reveal anyone here that seeks him and wants that sense of his nearness and his presence and his pleasure, who want his support and his love and his guidance. If you want intimacy, then he offers the same means to us this morning. Here's, it's a prayer also of this church. In Ephesians chapter 1, it's a prayer of the spiritual leadership of two rivers that God would ever be revealing himself and the beauty of his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to you, that God would reveal that to you. For in seeing it, there is life as we embrace it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, his initiative, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That's the same word here. Of Jesus appearing, of Jesus being revealed in the knowledge of him, that's Christ, having the eyes of your heart enlightened or in open. Or in other words, Paul is praying, I'm praying that you would see, you would see him and you would know him in all intimacy, having the eyes of your heart or the darkness of your life removed, that he would open the eyes of your heart and you would see him and you would experience him. And that is what Christ is about. Now look, there's two ways that he does this. First of all, it says that he made himself, on the outline it says that he made himself visible in their failure. If you look and it says that they fished at the end of verse 3, they fished that night and they caught nothing. And then as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he asked them the classic fishing question that we ask of fishermen, whether it's the surf or the pier, as we walk by, do you have any fish? Have you caught anything? And they respond, no. It seems that a lot of folks take umbrance with Peter fishing. You know, what's he doing? You know, I, you know he's, he, shouldn't he have been in church? Shouldn't he have been worshiping? Shouldn't he have been at the temple? Or maybe in Galilee on the shore? Does he, is he just thrown up his hands and he's gone back to work? He's gone back to his previous life as a fisherman. No, I don't believe that at all. What has happened is, is Peter makes a suggestion. He says, while we're waiting for the Lord to come, while we're waiting for him to come, let's go fish. We're fishermen. Let's go get something to eat. Let's go and meet our hunger and our need for ourselves. 
And as they get in that boat, they spend hour following hour, cast after cast, energy after energy is being expended, and that net comes back every time zero, empty, a boot, another old piece of cork or net. You know, there's just, there's just nothing. They're catching nothing. And it's at that point that Jesus meets them. He meets them at the point of their failure and their need. And they must have been asking themselves the question, what is different about this fishing trip? And when was the last time, and fishermen are apt to do this, when was the last time you had a big catch as you cast out again? Oh, do you remember in Luke 5? Do you remember the last time? It was when Jesus was with us. And I mean, we were, it was such a catch that the nets were bursting. It was literally breaking the equipment to get all the fish on the boat. In fact, it was going to swamp the boat. You remember? Oh, man. And that's not a fish tail. It was real. And they cast the net again, and it comes back empty. Jesus meets them in that emptiness, in that point of exhaustion. He meets them there, and he doesn't chide them or rebuke them, but he meets them there. He doesn't say, why weren't you waiting for me on shore? He doesn't say, are you trying to go back to your own business? He meets disciples who are totally unprepared, still not recognizing him. He meets us when we're not all together. He meets us when we've been toiling and toiling and toiling, and it seems like we're getting nowhere. It seems like the sum of my relational work it seems like the, time, the, 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 the majority of my physical work, my labor, my vocation, it seems like all that energy has come to nothing. And it's there that Christ comes to the nothing catchers. And he comes back in there, and it's failure that he meets us at the point of our failure, always with grace. And he reveals our need of him and our want of Him for real life. You see what's happening here? I've got to move on to the next point. But the myth, the myth that these disciples have bought into is that Jesus is resurrected, but He's no longer present. That Jesus is resurrected, but He's not present with me. I've got to go the rest of the way alone. Or... Jesus saved me. He saved me, but i got to work out the rest on my own. Or, Jesus is with me today, right now, the most sacred day of the week, the Holy Sabbath when I worship Him, when I dress up, and i got my Bible, if I can find it, and then I go to church. I mean, that's His day. But the other five or six, I've got to something. Skip Ryan on this text wrote this. Jesus meets us in the ordinary routines of our lives, taking care of our children and our grandchildren, making sales calls, phoning potential investors, coaching a little league baseball team, doing homework, answering the phone, 
or email messages or texts. The greatest heresy, the greatest heresy in the history of the Christian church is platonic dualism, which puts all of life into two categories. One is spiritual, one is material. Platonic dualism says spiritual things are church things. The rest of everyday life is material. And the Lord really only cares about the spiritual things. Now listen to what he says. And chew on this. If Christ is truly risen, then he is at this moment no further from us than he was from those disciples on the beach. If, tri- if Christ is truly risen, alive, and not a fallen, dead hero that we memorialized, then he is as close to us now and outside of worship as he was to those disciples on the beach. And if you are not experiencing that, you're still out there, offshore, in the boat, drifting and casting, drifting and casting, and drifting and casting, and your life is very plateaued, and it's as if your life is nothing. It's not so negative, it's just flat. Just flat water and nothing happening. We're adrift, and we're drifting away from the intimacy and the person of Christ. And Christ says, that's not my goal and that's not satisfactory because I want to open your eyes and I want to come to you and I want to meet you at your point of need. That's the great point. Take your failure. What's your biggest challenge, your biggest failure? Maybe a fail, failure in a relationship. Failure to love someone else well. Or maybe you failed someone and they're not responding, they're not loving you. Maybe it's a health failure and you just can't seem to get around it or over it. Maybe there's a failure at work or a failure to find work. Whatever that greatest point of failure is right there or need, invite. Learn to see right now the intimacy of Jesus Christ. He draws closer to our failure, I believe, than he does in our success. He comes, he is drawn, he is drawn to our pain like a mother is drawn to her children's pain. See him there. And you'll even learn to bless the trial. Secondly, notice that he reveals himself in his word. He reveals himself in his word because he has four, as it were, statements that he makes here are four words. And the first one is a sympathetic question. And it's, when he says children, he's not trying to be demeaning, but it's like you being on the beach and someone is out there in a fishing boat, a couple of guys are out there fishing, and you just say, hey guys, hey, you catching anything? It's a sympathetic question. It's not an accusation. It's not negative. Now, they may not like to say, no, I'm not catching anything. But it's a question that cares. It's sympathetic. 
Get out of here. You're not catching anything. He's asking a really good question. And that's like the Lord. It's like the Lord, if I could fast forward through the power of the Holy Spirit, that can send people, gifted counselors, friends, relatives into our lives to be used by God to ask us sympathetic questions. Simone Weil, a philosopher, wrote this, the best question that you can ever ask a, a fellow human being is, sincerely and with all sympathy, what are you going through right now? What are you going through right now? Can you hear the Lord asking you that question? It makes him so personable. It makes him, it makes him feel so, so near. What are you going through right now, child? What are you catching right now? Are you satisfied? Are you full? Are you hungry? Are you lonely? Are you adrift? Are you lost? Do you want me? I've asked, um, I, I know a good question that, that I like to ask people is this. What am I trusting in to make it through? What are you trusting in right now to make it through? Every one of us faces this nothingness in the work of relationship or in the work of you know, vocation or the work of just staying alive and health and managing the home. Every one of us faces things that we're going through right now. What are you looking to and trusting to get you through? Jesus asked a sympathetic question. Because he wants to begin to remember John 15 is where we're introduced to Christ saying, if you do not abide in me, you'll be nothing. Abide in me. You be the branch and I'll be the vine. And then you'll experience life. But apart from me, you'll be nothing. And what he's saying is, can I ask those questions that begin to make you reflect of what life without me being present and in intimacy with you would be like. Secondly, he's doing this through his word, by the way. He's doing this where scripture, where I began to encounter God through the scripture so that the scriptures ask me questions. They begin to approach my heart with questions. Secondly, he makes a starboard suggestion. Verse 6, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, I think, and I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not a um, Shane Sharda or Ron Lucas. Now, guys, you need to know, those two names, those are the fishermen at Two Rivers. If you want to learn how to fish, now just be careful, because if you ever say, you want to go fishing, they'll drop a lot of things to make that happen. But those are two of our big fishermen here at Two Rivers. But I think that if I was with those guys and we were casting for shrimp and it got night and we're casting and hour after hour, I would think that we would try the starboard side. I think that we would cast to our left port side and I think we would cast to our right. We'd go to the bow, we'd go to the stern, and then we'd go to a different location. 
Did Jesus Christ, as some people like to say, did he have a perspective on the beach that he could just tell by the sun on the water and the clarity? He'd say, I see a school of fish right there. Starboard. Oh, thanks. And why would they take his advice anyway? They don't yet recognize him. They don't recognize him until the catch. And then John says, his word came true. That is the Lord as he connected that back to the last time they caught nothing and he came on board in their life and then they caught to excess. So what is Jesus doing? What Jesus is doing is whether it's a miracle or not, and I believe that it's a miracle, I believe it's certainly a provision of the Lord that he who could direct a whale to, which says a great fish, the one God who could speak to his creature and they would obey, he could certainly speak to fish and they would obey. And now he's speaking to the disciples and saying, will you obey? Or we say, no. Who are you to tell me what to do in my life? I don't really recognize you as a is, is as good as me or superior to me. I, I run my own life. I catch my own fish. Don't worry that the boat is empty. Hey, fella, who are you to tell me? Many times you do have to get to a point of either desperation or just indifference. And you say, well, I might as well try that. But the Lord blessed them. They took him at his word. They took his suggestion. They took his guidance. They took his direction. And hearing it, they obeyed. And he was revealed to them. He was revealed to them as no longer a myth or an unknown. Where is he? He is here. Now I've got to leave this, but I want you to imagine that you're in that boat with me. You're in that boat and you hear a voice on the beach. In other words, you are there and you're casting a heavy net. And you've been working all night and it's dawn. Sun has come up barely. And it's early in the morning and there's a stranger on the beach who is talking to you. Do you listen? Is there a point in your day or your weak, certainly, we believe that this is the Word of God. Is there a point where you're listening to this? You're in your life in your boat. He's on the beach. Will you listen? Will you listen to Him? And then, as we're told in James 1, Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James has this idea that the words of God are like a seed that if we will listen, if we will hear, it will come in and it has the ability to so guide and direct our life 
that it saves our very soul itself. He goes on and he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, and so deceive yourselves. That's the second thing. Do I take after hearing it? Am I going to, am I going to look for a space in my life that I actually read in order to listen? And then secondly, as he begins to ask me questions, as he begins to speak, and as he says, this is going to be a challenge for you, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to, men, I want you to pull from port side that heavy, lead-weighted net. That net that is all roped together and saturated with water. I want you to pull it in, pull it in. And I want you to drag it over the hull. I want you to get it up on board. And I want you to move it across deck with the number of men that you've got in this boat. And then I want you to cast it from the opposite side. What a lot of work you're asking me to do. We've already tried the starboard. Will I trust you enough to do it? They pull it up, and they do it. They hear because they're listening. And as they hear instruction and a challenge, a command, a suggestion, they take him at his word, and they do it. And they experience at that moment, it says, that John said, that's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the way that the Lord works. When we will hear Him speak and we will follow His ways, we have life, success. And, you know, it wasn't that they then gave all their attention to the fish. It was at that moment that they give their attention to the real thing that mattered, the Lord over the fish. The Lord who cares enough to speak to them in their nothingness, who speaks to them and we follow Him and we experience life. A summons to strength. Um, you'll notice here that the Scriptures say something, and I always like the mysteries in Scriptures. It says in verse 8 that the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. Now the reason that they're dragging it behind the boat is because back in verse 6, when they cast it, they were now not able to haul it because of the quantity of fish. So they're now bringing it to shore behind the boat. But Peter, who has already made it to shore, when Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you have just caught, he's able, it says in verse 11, to get aboard again and haul the net ashore full of large fish. Where did he get the strength to do it? Where did he get the strength to obey God's word? In essence, that's where we're going. Christ gives us strength to obey. My experience is, is that many times I don't have I don't have the strength or I don't know the strength that I have to follow him, to hear him, to obey him, particularly in those situations that mean change or going in a different direction. I don't sense the strength to do that until I'm already moving in that direction. In other words, 
He doesn't come to me at the point of my addiction. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, when you get the strength to stop, then we'll start stopping together. He says, no, start stopping now. Move in that direction now, and I will supply the strength. Some people have said, well, Peter is just, he's just all brawn and muscle. He's just stronger than the other wimpy disciples. I don't believe that at all. But notice that he throws himself into the water, and when Jesus makes a command, he throws himself into that too. And he's like, I'm going to go get that, that haul. We couldn't get it on board the boat. They're dragging it behind the boat. I'm going to go, and he goes, and he gets, and he's able to bring all of these fish. Which, by the way, now I'm way away from the pulpit and over time, but would you bear with a, a moment's speculation? Why did Peter throw himself into the water? When John said, and John is, he's known as the beloved, when he says, there he is, that's Jesus. Now remember, Peter is on board, and Peter has not been restored. That's next week's sermon. Peter, has the last time he saw Jesus was when he denied him. And here is Peter in the boat, and as soon as it dawns on him, yes, yes, that is the Lord. It says that he was stripped for work. And the word there means he is stark naked. Now, some commentators are so nice that they don't like to think that he would be there you know, so they're saying, well, you know, of course he would have had a long cloth. I don't know. But he's certainly stripped down as close as he can be to work there in the water and with those fish and casting those nets. He puts on, though, a garment and then he throws himself into the sea. Here's my speculation because commentators ask this question. They're like, we just hadn't figured this one out. Why would he put on clothes to swim and be so encumbered and slowed down? Why not, just as he was, with a long cloth or a bathing suit, as it were, just jump in and be free and go meet him? Was it because of the honor of the person of Jesus that he didn't want to appear in any way unclothed or, or not in his Sunday best? No, I don't think so. My speculation he wanted a second chance to walk on water. Now, I know, I told you, speculation. He said, the Lord's word, I am coming. I'm a slow student, but I'm coming to see that if the Lord invites, if the Lord shows up, that his word is real and it can be trusted. And I'm learning to trust his word. And I want a second chance to walk on water. I believe he put on his cloak and he's like... And he didn't. He didn't this time. That was not what the Lord was about this time. But he rushes to shore. He rushes with a passion and a strength as Christ is revealed to him. His eyes are opened. He sees who has been there all along and you cannot keep him from him. You cannot keep him away. And then lastly, supper at breakfast. Um, there is a new promotion going on at Burger King and they have decided at Burger King, famous for his charred boiled burgers, 
that that's going to be back on their breakfast menu. I don't think it was ever on their menu. You know, they just say, well, we're before 11, we don't serve burgers and so forth. Well, now they've decided to put it on their breakfast menu so you can have a burger for breakfast. You can have what you normally eat for lunch or supper, you can have it in the morning. Well, it was very, very much the custom here that fish was a main staple for the breakfast menu. And notice that this is set up in such a way that we look back and we think, wow, it looks a lot like what we celebrate every Sunday. Breaking bread with the person of Jesus. And the bread, they get to shore, and Jesus has everything that you need if you're going to do a cookout on the beach. He's got a fire, charcoal fire. He's got fish that's on the grill, and he has bread. Now, I wish he had some wine. Maybe that was just there and unmentioned. He's just talking about the real substance of the meal right now. But if you follow and look into the Scriptures, Throughout, particularly the Gospels, though it's in the Old Testament, the meal, the meal was a time when God would draw very, very close in intimate fellowship with His people. It was at the meal that you would have conversations of intimate of an intimate nature. It was over a meal that peace was made or restored or communicated. It was at a meal that your friends were your table companions. Jesus Christ is not simply our wonderful, great teacher who teaches us from His Word, but He is also our great soul friend who comes to us and eats with us and sups with us. The great reformers Martin Luther and John Calvin desired to see the church celebrate the Lord's table every Sunday. And what they sought was to reassure and strengthen our heart in the risen Lord being present with us. That every week we come and there's a longing in our heart to hear Him on the beach again invite us to come from the the boat in the water to come join him to a meal and a table with him that he's provided. You see, it was Jesus who was stripped down. In the work, in the mission of his life, he was stripped down for that work. And he was hung on a tree stripped down for the laughter of men, the belittling of those who said he healed others, but he can't help himself. But his word was coming true as he sought to reveal himself to men. And so he came and he removed the darkness of sin in our lives by the forgiveness of those sins, by being stripped down to the work and thrown into the dark sea, as it were, on the cross, that we would never have to be. So that He now can sup with us 
and celebrate breakfast on the beach. So this morning, as this table is before you, I want you to be mindful that there is a Christ whom we hear and we follow with a growing passion in our life who is present with us. He is present with us. And He is here at this table. And as our leaders hold the bread and hold the cup out to you, I would have you in your mind perceive that it is Christ holding out these elements to you. And He is supping with us this morning. He's not so much in the bread as He is serving us this bread. And He wants these elements to speak a good word of His presence with us now and forever. For on the night that He was betrayed, He took bread. And after giving thanks, He broke it and He said, This bread represents my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. His presence now. In the same manner, after supper, He took the cup and He said, This cup represents my shed blood for the remission or the washing away of all sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. There's nothing that separates us from Him now. Nothing. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you celebrate my death on your behalf until I return. And His presence through the power of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace is ever with us. Let us pray. Father, I pray that You would take this bread and this cup and that You would separate it for this holy use. As You set these things apart, that You would set us apart. Father, that You would meet us here in a real way. And that as we experience Your nearness, that You would, Father, find us faithful to follow, to heed Your Word, to do Your Word, to follow You, and to follow You into all life. And we ask this in Christ's name, for His glory. Amen. I want to invite our men to come forward now as they